Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. And I am so honored today to have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Barbara Steffens. Dr. Steffens is a specialist in sex addiction and really in partners and spouses of sex addiction. She's been working since uh, the last century. Now we can say words like that. (laughs) since the 90s in this field, and wrote an amazingly helpful book that you will find on our website called Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, How Partners Can Cope and Heal. Welcome, Dr. Steffens. Oh, thanks so much, Rob. And out of that, I guess my question to you is, you know, we've known each other a while, and you've seen the work with partners and addicts go on for a long time. What do you think has changed in how we might be more helpful to those spouses who are experiencing betrayal today than maybe we might have offered them in the past. Is, is that field moving ahead? Um, I think that's a really good question. The, the field is moving ahead in some places very rapidly, some places not, not as quickly as necessary. I think that the best thing that the field can do is really listen to the partner as an individual So what is her or his unique experience, their unique personality, their unique response to being in relationship with someone with out-of-control sexual behaviors, and look for and be trauma-informed? I'm sorry, I want to ask about that. You mentioned the word trauma. When I think of trauma, it's funny, I think of sexual abuse. It's not funny, but this is what's funny. When I say the word trauma to people, they often say, oh, well, I haven't had any trauma. I haven't had any sexual use. That seems to be the first form of trauma that comes up to people. And then they might move on to being beaten or being hit. But that's not what you're talking about, right? No, no. We're talking about the trauma that happens within a relationship. Kind of shorthand, we're calling it betrayal trauma. But that's the trauma that occurs in a relationship where there's an expectation of safety and security and where there's a level of interdependence. So there's an expectation, this person I'm with has got my back, Um, I believe what they tell me, and then to find out there's been deception, betrayal, uh, violating an agreed-upon standard of behavior in the relationship. And then that betrayal trauma um, can look and and really meets the requirements in many cases for post-traumatic stress disorder. It can have that kind of profound effect and shattering effect on the person who has been betrayed in their primary relationships. That can be kids, 
Um, but in, in our conversation, we're talking about adults in a committed uh, relationship where there's an agreed upon standard of how we're going to behave with each other. So what you're talking about is really a betrayal of trust. You're saying that you're saying that trust in an intimate relationship is one of the most valuable commodities, one of the most meaningful, and that partners really live within that trust as and it provides them safety to go out the, through the day, through their life, thinking, hey, me and my spouse, my, my husband, my wife, we're aligned. We're we're going in the we're rowing in the same direction. And I think what you're talking about is that when you have a partner who suddenly finds out that their husband or their spouse in some way has been cheating extensively or really has a problem with sex, it's suddenly that partner looks back and it's like, oh my God, we've been rowing in different directions and I never knew it. Mm-hmm. It's exactly That's yeah. kind of the trauma, right? Like, oh my God, you're on the other side of the lake. I thought we were together, kind of like that. Yeah. And it's, it's not only on the other side of the lake, you know, it's not just going in different directions, although that's absolutely going on. It's also that you're going in a direct in different direction and it's putting our relationship in jeopardy. And it may very well be putting my life, my well-being, my future, my, my family, my children in jeopardy as well. So there's this level of risk associated with it. So it's not just going in different directions, but it's putting the relationship and the other individual at great risk. And so there's a lot of fear involved in that. I think we're talking in generalities in a way, like, you know, fear and risk and discomfort. And, and I, I think that part of what I wanted to do in this show and really getting down to sex and love addiction is I want to know specifically, if you don't mind talking about it, what are the kinds of situations that partners run into? Um, what do they find out and where does that leave them? Like specifically, you know, like you've worked with someone who thought everything was fine and then they discovered this and then what happened to them was that what really happens to people and what kinds of things, you know, I mean, let me try it another way. I think a lot of people sadly will find out that a partner has had an affair or been sexual, you know, when they went to Vegas and with some bachelors or bachelorettes or something, but, but that's not what we're talking about in this situation, right? Right. Usually what we're talking about is a partner will discover, find out that there is at least one behavior they didn't know anything about. And then as they deal with that behavior, they find that there's a string or a history of other behaviors. And so it's, it's really coming to grips with the idea that there's a whole part of this individual in terms of their behaviors um, and level of ability to deceive. It's the deception for partners, much more so than it is whatever that behavior is. So what they can find is either multiple affairs, online acti- sexual activity, pornography use, a combination of all those things prostitution, engagement. Some partners find out, you know, have discovery because all of a sudden they're finding out there's legal consequences. I've had clients who found out about their spouse's sexual behaviors when they found out that their home was being foreclosed. And then that led to questions on why isn't the mortgage being paid? And then that led to questions on, well, I've been paying a blackmail or something like that. So how it's found out can vary. But the effects and and what they find out can be devastating for them on every single level in terms of that person's sense of safety, sense of self, even for the partner to be able to trust their own perceptions of reality, their own intuition, all of a sudden that is shattered as well. So that's a part of the trauma. Do you think, Barbara, that, um, that a woman who experiences profound betrayal experiences differently than a man? 
Um, I don't think we know very much, at least I don't yet. There hasn't been enough research yet on differences between a, a male partner and female partner. Male partners I have talked to um, pretty much come up, say that um, what we describe, both in my book, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, in the trainings that we do through the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, that they resonate with that, that makes sense to them, um, it resembles their experience. But I, I say that anecdotally, I can't say that um, as being research-based. I think, again, it's that level of deception and um, making choices and commitments based on what they believe to be true, and then having that, that reality shattered for themselves. So it's kind of like it doesn't really matter on some level whether you've been with, you've been doing a lot of webcam chatting with someone or whether you are on uh, going out to see sex workers or even if you have a couple of long-term affairs. In, in the end, you've broken my trust. I don't know who you are. I feel like I don't know who we are. And my plan for life is kind of completely off the rails without my having any choice over it whatsoever. You said that really, really well, that it really doesn't matter. I think there are some kinds of activities that partners may have a stronger reaction to initially, but long term is that I don't know who you are, and I found out that there's a whole part of you that you have chosen never to share with me so that I can't give informed consent in this relationship. I think that when you really drill down, that's where the betrayal is. You put me at risk. You didn't tell me I was in danger. And yet I chose to be with you and believed you. And now I don't know who you are. And then I don't know who I am in relationship to you. So here's a good question for you. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I have, I'm a sex addict. I have these issues. I, I have a good sense of this stuff. And, and yet I have a question for you that I think I'd like, I really want to hear come from you. And that is that, or the answer to it, which is, um, do you think that these men, for example, certainly women are doing it too, but let's just choose men for the, for the moment. Do you think a man who acts out sexually, who is seeing sex workers and looking at a lot of porn and hooks up occasionally here and there for whatever reasons, most likely he's got issues. Do you think when he says, but honey, I really do love you. Do you think that's true? I mean, because I know for a spouse, it's like, well, you've seemed loving and you seemed like you cared about me. But it also seems to me like someone who would do these things couldn't possibly really love me. So I guess the question is, you know, do you think there is an attack for the person who's doing the sexual behavior, the acting out, the lying, the cheating, all of that? Do you think that there is any deep connection that, that they feel that they have and they are maintaining even despite uh, the, the very hurtful behavior they're engaged in. So I think that, yes, they, they can have an attachment and a connection, but the, the quality of that, the degrees of that may change over time. What I have observed in, in my, you know, 20 some years of work with this population is that over time, that, that ability to really attach and connect when someone's engaging in all those other behaviors, that has to loosen because so much of the energy and attachment and attention then goes to the sexual acting out or addiction, to use that word. So yes, can the person engaging those behaviors love their partner? Certainly. Is it the kind of love that the partner may think it is or the way they understand it? I think there, there may be some differences there. I don't think that once a partner finds out that these things have been going on, that they feel love, that they experience that, 
because they, they do say the very thing you said, you know, how could someone who's doing all these things really love me? And what do you mean by love? And what do you mean by connection? How can you do this connected to me? And I think for partners, they're, they're questioning those things because they don't really fully understand the split. You know, kind of like this dual life that a person is doing. They're pretending in one sphere of life, you know, yes, I am this person you think I am. And then they also have this other life where they're maintaining their secrets um, and engaging in things other people don't know about. So that's a split internally for that individual. And the partner doesn't think that way. Sex and love addicts really live in boxes. They live in compartments so that there would be this compartment where you and I are together and I love you and partner and we have these kids we have this great life and or, or even this okay life and then there's this little box where i keep my secrets and in that box i don't think about my love for you i don't think about you at all i think about what i want what i want to do and where i want to do it and i do my best to not think about you in that little box and in that way it's non-intimate right i mean they, there's no intimacy when there's secrets that's exactly right. So part of helping a partner is really helping to educate them on that process so that they have at least a way of conceptualizing that. But I always tell them, you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand it if your brain hasn't been functioning that way. If you're thinking in whole, you know, this is my life and I don't have that kind of compartment going on in my life, it's really hard for them to understand how someone that they dearly love could do that and still say they love them. So it's complicated. It's interesting to me is really interesting because it's kind of like an alcoholic, you know, in a way, um, you know, saying that my drinking has nothing to do with work. It doesn't affect work. I just work in the evening. You know, I just drink in the evening. I work in the daytime. But but it, over time it does. And yeah, I, you know what I really, you are the expert in partners, really a national expert in working with betrayed partners and the partners of sex and love addicts in particular. And I've written some work for them um, and with them. And, and I have to tell you, you know, I, I have a lot of time in this field like you do. And, you know, partners don't always look so good when they come into treatment. In other words, let me describe a scenario to you and tell me what you think about this. So, you know, let's say I'm a therapist, which I am, and I have a couple come in to see me, which I do. And, uh, you know, the man is, he, you know, his spouse, his female spouse has just found out about an enormous amount of cheating and betrayal. And so she is crying, hurt, angry, all over the map, you know, hates him, loves him, wants to throw things at him, wants to plead at his feet to make it work. She's just uh, in crisis. And, he comes in and he's calm, and he's contrite, and he's looking down. And he's saying things like, well, um, you know, if she just had not been stopping sexual with me when we have kids, if she had just lost some weight, if she had just been kinder to me, you know, I really don't think you should look at these things just at me, the husband says. Really, it's about our coupleship. And my wife has withdrawn from me sexually and romantically. What's a guy to do but go out and get it somewhere else? Well, as a therapist, it's kind of like I look at this 30-pound overweight, miserable spouse who hasn't put makeup on in a month, who's angry and crying and is one minute loving and the next minute hating. And I have to say in the office, they look like the crazy person and they feel like the crazy person. Whereas the person who's been doing the sexual acting out, the addict is often feeling quite honestly relieved, like, okay, the secret's out. Uh, it's off my back. And, 
you know, now I can, now that she knows, we can find a way to move forward and everything's going to be better kind of thing. And they're also blaming some of their behavior on the spouse. Like, you know, it isn't just about me being horny. It's also about, well, if she were more of this or less of that, or then I wouldn't do things. And that just makes the spouse feel even worse. And that is how they present. And if, unfortunately, if couples go to a good couples counselor for assistance who doesn't understand the dynamics in a coupleship when there's been um, sexual addiction, sexual acting out like this, um, that's exactly how they're going to be treated. They're going to be treated as if this poor person will say guy, because that's how you set up the scenario. This poor guy has been emotionally, sexually um, neglected in his relationship. And so, and here's this messy woman. So what is wrong with her? So they're going to focus on how can she be more what he's looking for to help the relationship heal. And when partners experience that, that's another trauma. That's another betrayal when they are not heard for what just happened to them and how their worlds just exploded. So that's one reason that I do the kind of work that I do now where I'm training other people on how to really look at this system from the lens of sex addiction, but also look at it from the lens of the partner having just experienced trauma. And traumatized people look messy because they are. Their life's just exploded. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. I want, to, I want to ask you, and addicts can look very slick and together when they're not. Uh, I wanted to ask you, before we talk about your organization, which I think is a really important one and one that's been needed for a long time, um, I'm curious, and I think any listener might be, you know, I, I've written, well, let me just say it this way. I've written, I wrote Sex Addiction 101. I've written a lot of books on sex addiction. I, I understand the dynamics of a sex addict. I have the issue myself. You know, I've been there. and um, But I've never been a partner. And my question, I've always sort of wondered about this. You know, if I am someone, and I'm going to use the male-female example for now again, if I'm a woman who is, you know, expecting love and appreciation and loyalty for my partner, and he has gone out and had an affair, and it lasted for, you know, six months, and it was with a coworker, let's say the coworker left town, and they're no longer around, and that affair ended, and I find out about it, is my initial or subsequent reaction or my recovery from that experience going to be different than someone who's found out that their husband is a sex addict? I think there's some similarities. When I was doing my research, um, where I had to go to find information on trauma symptoms after infidelity, it was the infidelity field. So they've known for a long time that there's an initial kind of trauma response after finding out even about it. And they have done research for a really long time because that's where I had to go because we didn't have that in the sex addiction field. So they've recognized trauma kind of symptoms after disclosure, discovery of one-time infidelity. Um, But what we find with partners is that it's more intense and they're not finding out just about a one-time affair. They're finding out about, in, in many cases, the entire lifetime of the relationship having been 
um, secretive or things that they didn't know anything about. So it's so much more than an affair for a partner when there's sex addiction. It's the level of deception and how long it went on, all those kinds of things. And maybe, I mean, I wonder if even there's a difference in trust between, okay, we were going through whatever you sought out the comfort of someone else and that ended. But I kind of believe that that's not who you are. You're not someone, you know, we're going to work through this. Whereas with a sex addict, I think the partner is always left feeling like, well, it's an addiction. So it could happen again at any time and addicts relapse. And so their sense of trust must be kind of uh, uh, um, always sort of held out in the distance and never fully. I mean, do, does the partner of a sex addict ever fully embrace trust again, knowing that this person can slip? Or is that, or is trust maybe based on other things as you go forward? Do they ever trust the way they did before? Probably not. But they can develop an ability to trust the heart and the intent and the behaviors that they're observing in someone who really wants to be well. If they, if they are in a relationship with someone and they can very well see in that person's behaviors, attitudes, the way they interact, the changes they bring into their life, what they start to trust is that individual's heart and desire for wellness and fidelity, that's what they trust. But they also are trusting with their eyes wide open, knowing that this person has the capacity. And they trust, they come to learn to trust again their own ability to believe in their own intuition and gut and observations. Living with someone who's been lying to you for many, many years, partners tend to lose touch with their ability to trust themselves. So the greatest gift that we give partners when we're helping them is helping them to trust themselves again. When you find out there was all sorts of stuff you didn't know, one of the first things they say is, how could I have been so stupid? not to do this. So a lot of the trust work is more with the partner internally and then with the individual that they, if they remain in the relationship. You know, what can I trust? What, what should I just be a little bit more cautious around trusting? Well, I have two questions for you in this area and they're big ones for sex addicts and partners, I think. One of them is, well, there's a couple and I think you, there's no one better to answer these than, than you. One of the things I hear my spouses a lot is something like, if I get really angry at him or if I decide to put him in the other room or her, if we, I decide that she and I need to take a time out or whatever it is, or I just rage because I'm just so hurt, don't I possibly bear the responsibility that I push them back into their addictive behavior? Can't I, by getting angry or upset or, you know, whatever it is I'm going, in other words, don't I as a partner need to monitor, I'm working with an addict, they have problems, you know, as angry as I am, I understand their problem is escalated by upset and stress. Do I need to act differently around them to try to make sure they don't, well, have a slip again or have sex again with someone else? So if a partner asked me that question, because that's how I would usually hear that question, and it's a really common question, I would say that the acting out is not about you. It may be about stress, maybe about how this person knows or doesn't know how to manage stress or conflict but you aren't powerful enough to make someone else act out. Now, do you want to be the kind of person who does have control over your emotions when you want to? Certainly, if that's your values, then we're going to work for you so that you are behaving in a way that's consistent with your values. But what you do can't cause him to. I'm really, really glad to hear you say that because I think if you're someone who's used to lying to your spouse and blaming them for your problems... It would make sense to me that as an addict, I might 
even after my partners discovered it and I've been working on it. And if I get angry at them or they're not, or they're just so upset with me all the time about my behavior, I might want to turn to them and say, look, if you don't stop, I'm going to end up back out there. Or, you know, you're going to push me right back into the other woman's arms kind of thing. And to me that, that I understand why they do that, but it seems cruel. It is. And I think too, I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but I'm going to bring it up. I think a a lot of times uh, partners have experienced pressure, even from clinicians to um, hold in their emotions and protect and, and to not do anything that would trigger him or trigger his shame, because then that could interfere with his recovery. And so it's really put a lot of, I think, inappropriate pressure on a partner to then do the very thing that the field used to say that we did, which was enable the person with sex addiction by saying, well, I have to be careful around you, tiptoe around you, so that you don't act out. So making the partner responsible for the addict's recovery. And that's not fair. And it's not right. And I don't think it's good treatment for the person with the addiction. The message is loud and clear, which is if you cheat on me or you are uh, engaging in drinking or using or sexing or whatever, problem behavior is and you say well if you just be nicer to me or kinder to me or more relaxed with me i wouldn't do these things that's just wrong the reality is is that a partner is never responsible for the person's choice to go act out they may have a part in some of the stress but how the person handles that stress is up to them yeah yeah i tell partners that that they don't have the power to make someone else behave a certain way, that each of us individually are responsible for the behaviors we choose to engage in. Something can cause stress in my life, but how I respond to that stress is my responsibility and no one else's. So I have another great question for you, and this comes up all the time with, with the people I work with, a number of them, and I, I hate to quiz you, but it's helpful. Sometimes I hear things like, well, well, for, about sex, like, well, this has happened. Should we be having sex? Should we not be having sex? I know my answer is, why have sex with someone you don't trust? And until trust is restored, why would you be sexual? That's sort of how I put it. But how do you explain to a couple, you know, well, you may have to take a time out from sex, or, or do you, um, when they're in the, the, the depths of this kind of betrayal? Uh, how I approach it, and the questions do come up, is um, what feels safe and true to you? So I kind of go back to what, what feels like it's the most honest um, the most consistent with their values. If they do want to be sexual, what's the driver for that? Is that fear? Is that insecurity? So that they they at least are informed within themselves what's driving that desire. I talk about pros and cons, risks, benefits, all those kinds of things. But my partners, my, my clients, they have autonomy and they're going to make their choice. So I never prescribe for them. But I do let them know if you're sexual before you feel ready and when you don't trust, you could be triggered. Um, It could bring about some more pain. So just be informed. I want them to have complete informed consent in their behaviors. So much of what's happened to partners, they had no say in, no consent. So they have to be able to um, have their right of autonomy really respected. So I give them options. I tell them this is what some people experience. This is what other people's experience. I normalize that there can be a rush to being sexual again, just trying to feel close and reconnect. Honeymoon phase, big time, you know, and I say, you know, just about everyone does that, but just be aware 
of what that might be about for you. And if you need to change your mind and say, no, I'm sorry, I did this too soon, then you change your mind. I did this too soon. But that they are in charge of what happens to their body now. Okay, I want to ask you my favorite and most difficult question in treating sex addicts for almost 30 years and working with partners and you're doing the work that we both do. Um, when I have a partner come in and say, you know, I just want you to know if he ever does this again or she ever does this again, my relationship is over. And I hear that often from partners who've been together many years. And and I think to myself, you know, it probably is going to happen again. I mean, recovery is not perfect and people have slips. And it may not be that they go to the affair partner. It may be that they look at porn. It may be a less or that they, uh, I don't know, go to an escort or something. But it's not unlikely, in fact, probably very likely that the partner, uh, that a sex addict is going to act out, even though they've gone through disclosure, discovery, and the work that goes on with the spouse. And I, and I, and I wanted to say to you, Barbara, you know, because I don't know if we don't have these conversations, you and I very often, but, you know, when I go to a 12 step meeting and a man raises his hand when they say, who has 10 years or more? In an AA meeting, that means they have 10 years, 25 years, 30 years of not drinking or using. When I raise my hand, when someone raises their hand in a meeting, they say they have 10 or 15 years in my experience in sex addiction. It often means they're saying they haven't had sex in 10 or 15 years. And that those people who are challenged by naturally occurring functions like eating and sex, we're not going to do it perfectly. We are going to make mistakes. That's why people with eating disorders don't get, you know, 10, 20 years. They get a few years, they have a slip, they get a few more years, and that's life-changing for them. How do I explain that to a spouse who is expecting absolute fidelity, especially consider, considering how you've treated me in the past? Well, we, we do talk about what you just talked about, the likelihood of not having some kind of slip with when there's addiction, that that's just part of the addiction, part of the healing process. So normalizing that is, you know, it's very likely that that might happen. But I, I really try to listen to what is that question about for the partner. The question is about, I want to make sure that you know I will never, ever tolerate this because I'm hoping that means you won't ever do it again. I want you to know how serious this is, that I'm threatening that if you do this again, I'm leaving. I have met very few partners who really follow through on that threat, but it comes out of fear and some kind of determination that I want you to really understand what the stakes are here. And they don't want themselves to still hang around if there's a relapse. They would like to think I could just leave and it wouldn't hurt anymore. But leaving is extremely painful. There's no pain-free way to deal with this situation. It's just what kind of pain and how true to yourself are you going to be? Um, but I think that that kind of ultimatum comes out purely out of fear and out of desire to have some kind of power over something that they know they don't have any power over. Yeah. Well, actually, I want to tell you a little story. Um, I was running a partners group many years ago, and I had a young woman who maybe she's in her early 30s. She'd been married maybe two or three years. She found out that her husband was a sex addict and, and that there'd been a lot of behavior both before they were married and during their relationship. And she said in the group, she's probably the third person along in the group to check in. She said, if he ever does this again, I will leave him. And I said to her, well, how, why would he ever tell you that? Like, why would he ever be open and honest and trusting with you if the only option is that he has to be perfect around a behavior he struggled with his whole, his whole life. And I think that's a real dilemma for partners. How do I deal with the possibility this might happen again? But it's devastating for me. 
Um, and I don't want to feel this way. And I don't want to feel this way about that person, about my partner again. Anyway, I, I, what I wanted to tell you was I, I was in this group and this woman said that. And I said that to her and she was not happy with me that I had don't you really believe that what you want from him is him to tell you when he's struggling rather than look good. Um, but what I loved was I, about seven William, women into that group, another woman raised her hand and she had been around. Her husband had been uh, in recovery for about 10 or 15 years. She'd done a lot of her own work. And she said, you know, it's interesting if my husband has a slip or goes back to his sexual behavior, I, I wouldn't kick him out. I wouldn't leave him. And what she said was, why would I ruin my life? Because he screwed up. Why would I take my kids out of their home? Why would I mess up our finances? Why would I destroy the stability of my life? He's the one who has to get to work uh, because something happened, but I'm not going to ruin everything that I've created with this person because uh, he has a problem. And I thought that that sounded like wisdom to me. And, and one piece that I'm wondering about with these two women that spoke, you said that the first one was a young woman. So maybe married just a few years. The second person, my guess, the relationship has been much more long-term. So there's a much longer life that has been built with this individual and all of that stuff. So I have led partner groups where I have a young woman and a more mature woman in the group. And the more mature woman would want to say to the young woman, get out now. Leave now, before you have children, before you build a life, before, before, before. Because once you are in this relationship a long time, it is exactly what you just described with the second woman. That why would I want to disrupt my life? Um, and so we do see partners who stay in relationships where there is serial relapse. And it's because they, they want to maintain their life. They don't want to damage themselves, their children their lifestyle to that degree. Every every partner has the power to make their own decisions around what they believe they can live with and they can tolerate. And I think that's an individual decision. I work with partners to try to say, well, what what is tolerable for you? Is it if he slips or she slips that they come and tell you within 24 hours? Is it the deception? Is it the sexual acting out? So that they know what, they, what they're really drawing the line around. Is it acting out or is it um, the deception? Dr. Barbara Stephens, I am so grateful that you joined us. And I really hope you'll come back. You know, we have another podcast called Love and Betrayal. And I, uh, because I truly, you know, not everyone identifies as a sex act. Not everyone's going to have that connection. But certainly there are many people dealing with infidelity and cheating and all of that. And the answers are similar, but not the same. So I hope you'll come back and be a guest on Love and Betrayal. Dr. Barbara Stephens is author of Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, and she founded and is president of the board of APSATS. I always say this wrong. It's APSATS, the Association, thank you, I did it right, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. So Dr. Stephens not only writes about this and sees clients, but she also helps therapists understand how to best work with people who are experiencing profound betrayal and and trauma and loss related to sex addiction. Dr. Stephens, thank you so much. I look forward to us doing some more work in the near future. Thank you so much, Rob. Well, by the way, where can people find you if they want to find you, if they want to learn more about your work? Probably the best way is just going to the APSATS website, so APSATS.org or drbarbarastephens.com. And your book's on Amazon. They can. It is. Okay, good.
It's such a pleasure, Dr. Steffens. I hope we talk again soon. Thank you for your time. I hope so too. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.